Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, my first guest this afternoon is Naomi Dunleavy. Naomi is going to tell us about an upcoming event she has organised for Donor Awareness Week in memory of her son Aaron, who lost his life in a traffic accident, I think just over a year ago. How are you doing, Naomi? Hi, Barbara. How are you doing? I'm very well, and it's lovely to talk to you. Thanks a million for taking our call. No other, thank you. Listen, I want to first of all ask you about this event, um, which is a duck derby. And then we'll talk about your son, Aaron, a little bit after that, if that's OK. So will you tell us first yeah. of all about what's happening this weekend? The Ducky Dee Derby we're doing this weekend, we're having it in Aura Leisure, Navin, uh, which is where Aaron worked and where my eldest son, Adam, and our nephew still work and Aura Leisure have been amazing in supporting us. So it's it's a swim relay race that we're doing. We have 30 participants and basically the Derby is, as you said, to bring about organ donation awareness. We've invited um, organ donor families, both living and deceased, and organ recipients Um Initially, I had hoped that they could actually participate in the swim. But as somebody pointed out to me, I've picked a very niche sport and a very niche group of people. (laughs) So we do, we're fortunate enough, we do have some organ recipients who are participating and some members of deceased donor families. Um, But the rest of the community and quite a lot of young people actually have got on board with this. Um, So they're participating. It's a friendly swim is what we're calling it. But even in saying that, we've been doing the times and uh, I'm not joking, I had to double check some of the times. I was like, really? Are they that fast? <laughs> so what we're, we're doing is we're kind of being fair and splitting people across the team. So every team will have a sprinter. Know, the swimmers, exactly, yeah. down to the slowest. And it's just all to celebrate Aaron's life and celebrate the fact that he was a swim teacher, celebrate... Um, after he passed, um, I just by chance found a journal entry that he had written, which was got to do with kindness. I um, want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about that, actually. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk to you about that now in a sec. But so you're, you're the, the idea behind this. It's a first event, is it, of, of a number of events that you're, you're hoping to do to raise awareness of, of uh, the need for people to think about donating organs? It is. Well, so... Aaron's last act of kindness is is Ducky's first Ducky deed. Right. So a Ducky deed is a conscious act of kindness. It's not a random one. It's right. one that you have to actually put careful consideration into. You need to address a need um, and you need to work hard at, at addressing that. Um, and then in relation to the derbies then, as I was researching more about kindness, because I'm, I'm not very kind, so I had to figure out, okay, what is kindness? <laughs> I realised that actually real kindness 
conscious kindness needs empathy. If you don't have empathy, you're basically just being nice to people, which is grand in itself. But, you know, Aaron wanted to make a difference. And I realised that in order to do that, you have to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. So the derbies are going to hopefully continue on. The main theme to a derby derby is that it's about kindness and empathy and being able to put people together who maybe have different perspectives in life. So if you think about for the first one that we're doing, which is around organ donation, Mm. organ recipients and organ donors often actually don't get to talk to each other. But we're opposite sides of the same coin. I mean, we're, you know, we, we actually we were a continuation of the same story. Yes. And we don't get a chance to talk to each other and talk about our perspectives. Um, in organising the Derby, I've actually been very fortunate to be able to talk to some recipients. Um, and they've explained to me that they, you know, I would talk to them quite openly about um, what happened with our family and in relation to organ donation. And a few of them have said they, you know, they didn't realise um, all that was involved in it and equally in listening to them they've told me just how grateful they are and, and I've said well you know I don't think you understand we're equally grateful because yeah. for us you know Aaron was so vibrant and so lively he was only 20 when he passed and it was a sudden death so for us we were faced with just the abyss devastation yeah yeah and, and how are we supposed to cope with this mm. but through the organ donation for us he now gets to live on in in four people's bodies and, and his so. and his kindness and his generosity uh, uh, gets to live on. Now you you've mentioned that um, Aaron was only twenty when he passed. Yeah. So how did you know that he wanted that this was something he wanted to do that he wanted to donate his organs or did you know? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. We knew I, we had more than one conversation about organ donation. Actually, um, tell me about that. How did those conversations <laughs> come up with such young people? Well. Maybe it's me. I was sort of perimenopausal and then we had COVID and we'd sit out in our back garden quite a lot and and just chat. And it it just came up in conversation a a couple of times where it would be me saying to to, to David and the boys, "Okay, look, when I pass, I want you to wear colours. I want songs. I want you to be happy. I want it to be a celebration of my life. And we talk about that. And it was actually Aaron's birthday. His 20th birthday was our last conversation. And again, or organ donation came up and the boys had already told us before that they were happy to donate their organs. I mean, they were quite flippant about it because and practical because yeah. realistically, as they said, you know, what are we going to, we don't need our organs anymore and it's going to help someone else. Yeah. So for us, we knew um, all along that that was what Aaron wanted. And to be honest, up until the point that you know, the family have to honour the, the your loved one's wishes because obviously, even though they might say that they're a donor, um, the um, hospital have to confirm it with your next of kin. Sure. So for us, we knew that Aaron wanted to donate his organs because of what he had told us. Yeah. But we, initially, it was to help the recipients. But actually, in that moment, it was to help us right. because we wanted hope. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, but it, it was an easy decision for us. And it was, it was because I listened to you, I know you did an interview, a long interview with Ryan Turberty, um, which okay. I listened to. But I know that in the immediate aftermath, when, when Aaron was in hospital, um, you revisited that decision again, because it's not as easy 
at the you know at that moment as perhaps we all anticipate it would be in advance is that am I right in that yeah and and um, what it brought to mind to me Barbara is that I think a lot of the time we do things or we don't do things because mm. we don't put enough thought into it so even though yes our family had the conversation it it was lighthearted and we we didn't yeah. think really about the seriousness of it so when we were faced with the decision if we had have put enough thought into it you know, we should have realised that if you're donating your organs, you cannot allow the donor to pass away. They have to keep the donor alive. Right. But but in that moment, we already had, I mean, we're, we're coping with shock and yeah. you, you want that closure. You want to be able to say goodbye. And, and let the person go. Yeah. And, and in that moment, we realised, oh, gosh, we're, we're not going to be able to do that. And, and you're trying to grasp on to everything you can to hold on to them for that yeah. last moment and to be able to say goodbye. So for us it meant we left the hospital not having said goodbye to Aaron. But you know what? I'm actually so glad now we didn't because that means to me I, I never say dead when I'm talking about Aaron because I've noticed that. Me, yeah, he lives on. Yeah. He, Aaron has passed. He has passed from this earth onto a, a higher consciousness. So he's now in my heart and he's now in his recipient's bodies. So I didn't need to say goodbye to him because he's still with me. He's still with you every day. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, Naomi, um, about uh, Aaron's words that you found after he had passed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What did you find and what had Aaron said in, 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 in what you found? Well, to put a little bit of context, so it was last February um, and Aaron was self-isolating because he had tested positive for COVID. Mm. So he had been in his his room for um, the week. Um, I wasn't aware about this journal. I was tidying up his room and I I just happened upon it. Like Aaron's room was a mess. You never get to tidy. (laughs) Are there any 20-year-olds? I don't think there are that keep their rooms tidy. uh, My nephew does. Oh, does he? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But no, not Aaron's uh, or Adam's actually. But anyway, I wanted to tidy it up for him and I was just going through. He has these big cubbyhole drawer Mm. things and, and I was clearing them out. I, I don't know why, maybe it was the weight of the, the, the pad or something, but when I opened up this pad, there was only one page written in it, and I realised it was his writing, and I just started reading it, yeah. and the context of it was talking about what he'd been going through during lockdown, because he'd struggled a little bit with that. But then three quarters of the way down, there's this, it's like a quote that just comes out. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. If you don't please mind, do, yeah, please do. He said, I'm going to be myself and be nice to everyone I can. Even if a small thing I do makes someone smile, then I did a good job because everyone has their battles. And if even for a few seconds they are happy, it makes a difference. That's a really profound, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's a very profound, deeply thought out uh, thing that he wrote. And that's how he has inspired Ducky and the Ducky Deed, because... Everyone, I mean, we all knew Aaron was always happy. Aaron was always smiling. Yeah. But um, Dill's my nephew in Oranavon. He had organised with the staff that they did a book of condolences. And normally, I wasn't looking forward to reading the book of condolences. But yeah. when I did start reading them, I described them as love letters to Aaron because the, most of the messages weren't to us. They were from his colleagues, his students, parents of students, telling Aaron how amazing he was, how he impacted their lives. And they just kept coming back and back and back to this smile. Yeah. And I, I just pieced it all together and I thought, oh, my gosh, 
he consciously did this. He, yeah. he he didn't just have a smile on his face. He knew what that could do for other he people. He lived it. He lived it. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the biggest thing for me, for weeks I was going, this is amazing. I can't believe how insightful it is. And then, as I said, as I was doing more research about kindness and empathy, I thought, oh my goodness. That's it. The first thing he said, I'm going to be myself. Yeah. I mean, how many people can't accept themselves as yeah. they are? How many people have that, you know, that inner voice that critiques them? And Aaron had thankfully come to a place where he thought, you know what, I'm enough. That's as I brilliant. am. And, That's and just was, brilliant. That's, I was so happy. Yeah, yeah you it, must be. And you must be so proud of him because he sounds like uh, he was an amazing guy. Uh, Naomi, thank you so much for your generosity and sharing your you story that. with us. And the best of luck, balloons and all, with the event <laughs> at the weekend. I hope it goes great and continued success in your work in raising this, which is a very important uh, issue. That was Naomi Dunleavy there. We'll take a break. You are welcome back. Now we're heading into that time of year when many of us will be rooting out the suitcases from the attic to get ready to go abroad on our holliers. And one of the essential items we shall also be rooting out are our travel adapters. But this week, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission is advising holidaymakers that we need to exercise caution when using travel adapters abroad uh, for plugging in electrical products. And joining me now to tell me more is Diren Sweeney, who is Head of Corporate and Stakeholder Communications at the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Phew, that's a long title. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's great, Darren. Loads of C's in there as well, all coming together one after the other. (laughs) How are you? I'm great, thanks. (laughs) Good, it's nice nice of you to take our call. We appreciate it. Now, so this advice relates to travel adapters um, that we all bring on holidays with us. What are the risks that you have discovered, uh, possible risks or potential risks involved? Yeah, so we have been working to examine travel adapters that are for sale in Ireland, but also across the EU. And we identified three key risks okay. in the products themselves. So the first is that the information on the packaging was incorrect or missing. Mm-hmm. And this is really important because, as we all know, there are many different types of, ad- of travel adapters, different countries, um, you know, that, that apply. So information on the packaging about whether they're safe and also what's suitable is important. The other risks that we found are, are, are on the more serious scale, which was the risk of fire. Um, so that is when they're not made to, um, to cope, I suppose, with some of the appliances that they're been plugged into. And the, the, the materials being used mean that they, they could go melt and go on fire. And the last risk, which is the most serious, is a, a risk of electrocution. Um, and this was one, I don't, I don't know if you saw the video that we ha- we posted on our social media and on our website, ccpc.ie. This was basically, everyone would be familiar with two prongs, you know, those yep. ones that we use abroad. Um, and the idea is that it, it should not work. The plug not, should not transmit electricity unless two prongs are stuck into the plug. Right. However, what we found is that you could actually put in one, um, whether that be that you weren't looking what you're doing and you're pushing it in or you oh. put something else in and live electricity was being um, transmitted. So I have a one-year-old child at home who's very fond of putting things in plugs. Yeah. So you could imagine either as yourself putting it in not paying attention or a child and then you'll be exposed to electricity. So it's a serious risk. Yeah, yeah. Okay, these are things we need to be aware of. Absolutely. So you have a couple of safety tips um, Indeed. which you've so, given. So tell us about those. Yeah, so we've been working to remove those dangerous ones. There's the manufacturing ones. But there's also, because the product itself, it's really important that, that we use them safely. Yeah. So the first is to look at the packaging and only use the, the plug that is suitable for the country that you're in. Sure. And have a look. And that information should be there. 
The other is to make sure that you don't use it um, all the time, that you only use it for short stints. It's not designed to be plugged in or, and always on appliances. Oh, now, the first thing that when I read that, the first thing I thought of was that everybody uses your travel adapter for is your phone. So you plug your phone in and you leave it on your bed overnight. Exactly. These are short term use. And it's really important. And it's so easy to forget about it, too. Yeah, it is very important. The next tip is one that I, I have to confess when I was younger and more naive and innocent, I was very guilty of. And that was I didn't want to buy multiple uh, adapters. Yeah. So I used an extension lead, oh. which I'm now cringing at the idea. I was very lucky that nothing happened. Yeah. The idea is that you'd use one plug and you'd take an extension lead from home, plug in the plug into your adapter, into the wall, and off you go. You can use up to four um, appliances. Oh, dear. Exceptionally dangerous. Uh, if there's one thing everybody takes from it, is do not do that. Don't take we'll an extension cable. Phones. Yeah, because it's not designed. They're yeah. light, little, short-term um, pl- um, adapters. They're not intended for long-term use and not intended for big use either. Uh, okay. So are generally, I mean, again, I'm thinking of myself when I go on holidays. Generally, the adapter is for a hairdryer or... Yes or a straightener or a curling tongs or something to do with your hair and as I say I mean I do remember being on holidays once in I think it was Ibiza when I was quite young and plugged in the hair dryer (laughs) to blow dry my hair and then turned on the hair dryer and blew the electricity in the entire apartment block (laughs) everything went off very easy, done, very easily done. So checking to see Check. that, you know that it, it's suitable for yeah. the country that you're in, um, and just taking that time to have a look. Because I know as well, too often they're at the back of a drawer. Yeah, that's it. Somewhere. There should be information on the actual plug itself yeah. that shows you what you need to know, um, and it is really, really important that you take that time and, and check it. And don't leave your phone plugged in all night long. No. Just charge it and then remove and it. Listen, it yes, very exactly. good advice. It's good even in Ireland to do that as well too. Even when we're home, it's an important. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good advice. Darren, thank you very thank much you so indeed. Much for having me. Thanks a million. What's that TV theme? I think it's a kind of easy one today um, and it's a lovely piece of music. But anyway, let us know what is that. There'll be a prize for the correct answer, which we will let you know just after the three o'clock news. You can send your answers by text or by WhatsApp to the usual number, which is 86 Um And as I say, there will be a, uh, a prize for the, be- the right for one of the right answers. OK, now... Over Christmas, uh, when my eldest daughter was home from Australia, we spent a happy couple of evenings uh, laughing as we were watching old home movies and rummaging through old boxes of photos. And it did make me wonder that although we take thousands more photographs and videos now than we would have done 20 years ago, will we ever look at them again? Um, And then I read a great piece in the Irish Independent by Sasha Hamrog and I thought we need about digital detoxing and I thought we need to have a chat. So hi, Sasha, how are you? Hi, Barbara. Thanks so much for having me. Not at all. It's lovely to talk to you. And as I say, this piece just sung at me because I was like, oh, thank God, it's not just me. (laughs) Although I'm not as bad as you, Sasha. You wrote in the paper that you have nearly, did I write this right or wrong, 100,000 photos stored in the iCloud. I do. I do. I pay for all that extra storage as well. I was going to say. Yeah, just to be able to hang on to it. I mean, I think, you know, I wrote in the piece about I'm not necessarily sentimental about physical items, but I find it really difficult to part with my digital memories. Um, and we we have become things have changed for us. We don't have a a box. We don't have photo yeah. albums like we used to. We kind of have this endless stream of photos and videos stored in our phone. And personally, I I find it quite overwhelming at times, which was why I decided to write the piece. 
Yeah, because you get stressed by knowing all that stuff is out there somewhere. And do you worry, um, Sasha, with that amount of stuff in the cloud, that the cloud might burst or, or lose all your bits or, you know, that oh, it all Barbara, might disappear? Don't talk to me about that. That's the great fear, right? That yeah. someday something will go wrong and that it'll all that it'll all be gone. And I think that that is, that is something that a lot of people, when I spoke to different people about it for the piece, that was something they were afraid of, which was making a mistake and potentially deleting everything or pressing delete and regretting it. Yeah. was a big thing that people talked about. You know, I think it comes down to people being afraid of losing their memories. This is the most important stuff to us. You know, you mentioned your daughter. Yeah. When you think about our children and the photos and the moments of their life. Yeah. I think it's just so, it's so vital and precious to us that we want to make sure to protect it but at the same time taking six photos of the one photo exactly excessive as well so it's trying to find a balance and you know, I, I you know I think you probably agree with me. We didn't get any training. None of us have had any training as to how to manage all this. No, that is that is very true. The other thing, though, that I do that I started to wonder after, as I say, at Christmas, we we rummaged through all the physical stuff that we have, the physical yeah. photos and and videos, is that you know having this the amount of of stuff that we have on our phones or on our laptops or in the cloud. Do we ever actually sit down? It's a very one-to-one kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? You can't sit down with a with, with your laptop, with a, your family all gathered around, passing around the photos <laughs> like the way you do physical photos. So are we ever going to look at them again? Or are they all, is it, is it just some kind of neurosis that we have ourselves? Well, I think it's generational as well, because my daughter is six. And what we do um, every time it's a birthday, she'll say, can I see my first birthday? Can I see my second birthday? Oh, wow. Can I see my third birthday? And we it's so easy for me to pull that up on my phone. I just put in the dates and we're able to look through it. So that has become kind of a ritual in our house that I do think is quite nice. And I'm so glad I can do that um, quite quickly. I think the other thing is, you know, what I'm doing personally is, I am kind of looking at the year, so I'll print out photos for the year in a book. Right. Um, I'll like order a book that's printed. That that kind of does give you that physical element, so that you do have something as a you know not, not necessarily a backup, but something physical and tangible that you can hold. Well, that's a good idea, and I've done that before on particular holidays. Um, you know where we've 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 ordered a book online and put the photos in and yada yada yada. But in actual fact, I haven't done that for years because, as you say, I'm now taking way too many photos and and there's just too much to the whole idea of trying to sort them out. And I know you can search them, but I still think, as you said, there's three or four of the same thing. And every so often I think I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get organized. The job is just too big. It defeats me before I get started. It is. And I think that that's how a lot of people feel. And, and probably some of us will never get to that point where we can do that. <laughs> but I spoke to um, Sarah Reynolds of Organized Chaos. She gave me some really great tips for the piece. And one of the things she talked about was when you are watching TV, you know, you're sitting there for maybe an hour or two. And we all we're all multitasking. We're all on our phones while we're watching TV, yeah. you know, these days to take some time to maybe delete the duplicates, maybe create a folder where you do keep things. It just maybe helps the brain feel like you are taking a little bit of control with it, um, but at the same time, not deleting anything necessarily. A good friend of mine just created a folder on her desktop where basically it's just called her digital debris folder. And anything that she just needs not on her desktop or cluttering her her brain, she throws in there. It's not gone forever. There's still that safety. But she has this folder that's kind of an endless place for all of it. I I took a bit of a figari recently because... um and I'll tell you about, I, I need a new phone and I'm, I'm putting off, my phone is doing weird things as they do yeah. after a few years. 
but I'm putting off getting it for another reason which I'll talk to you about in a minute but in trying to get to the place where I can do a new phone and I say to my husband I don't want to transfer all the photos that are on my old phone onto my laptop because most of them I would say over half of them are rubbish so I want to delete all that stuff before I transfer them either up onto the cloud or onto my laptop Um, but it is a huge huge job I did start and then I started doing too many and now I know I've deleted stuff that I probably shouldn't have deleted (laughs) so I'm kind of in a no win situation you know but I think that brings us back to what I was saying about not having any, we're not prepared for this. No. We didn't have some sort of transitional training from our analog life to our digital life. And it has ramped up quite significantly and quite fast. We rely on our phones more than ever. Um, but I think that's also why it is important to feel some kind of um, structure. Yeah. Because if it feels chaotic to you, like sometimes I do feel it can feel quite chaotic. Um, I think it's important for your own sense of well-being. And and when I spoke to um, Professor Brendan Kelly from Trinity, he did say it is important for our own well-being and for our mental well-being that we don't feel like we're in a digital mess all the time. Um, And that we can find, you know, there are ways. I mean, I think that, like you said, they they are difficult enough to, to do. One of the things I've been doing, so I call them, you know, I think this is kind of a phrase that's been bandied around a lot lately, which is emotional support tabs. If you were to see my my laptop, um, I would have 50 tabs open at one time. <laughs> emotional um, support tabs. Emotional support tabs that I don't want to part with. But what I do now, based out since I wrote the piece, yeah. what I've been doing is every evening I close out all those tabs. And I wouldn't have done that a couple of months ago, probably. Right. I would have been afraid I'd lose something. Now I'm closing out the tabs and starting fresh every morning. And from a mental health perspective, that's actually been quite beneficial. Yeah, so small changes. You're small making changes. me feel better, actually, because I think you're worse. <laughs> now, listen, there was a couple of other things that uh, Sarah Reynolds gave you in relation to email, which is the other thing that people, you know, pick up their phone and go, oh, my God, look at all these emails. And a lot of them are unread because they're just rubbish. Um, she gave you a couple of, of things a couple of suggestions of how you get over that. She did. So unsubscribe, yeah. um, a big one. So there's a lot of um, promotional emails that we receive that we probably don't engage with all that often. Sure. The ones you're not engaged, and, and there's some valuable stuff in there, but the things that you're not engaging with, definitely press that unsubscribe button when you can. And it feels quite freeing when you get through a good, a good load of them and you feel like you're not getting those emails anymore. And then using folders well. Yeah. Um, so trying to create folders for different things and just getting into the habit of putting them into the folder so that everything has a place. Uh, but definitely, I would say unsubscribe being a big one that might help a lot of people. And then the other thing, which again tends to cause anxiety uh, around technology like that we all use, is notifications. Yeah, so notifications. This one is one that I've been using, and I think it's a really um, helpful one as well. It's great for, like you said, anxiety or feeling overwhelmed, which is you can you can set your notifications to come in batches, so they don't have to all come in in live time. Right. So, for example, you can have your Instagram notifications coming to you every four hours, every five hours, instead of them coming as, as they happen. In. Yeah, as they happen. And, and I think for something that isn't urgent, why why do we need an update every every second? So I think those things can be really good for managing stress and also just giving yourself some headspace where you need. And there's little tricks like that that can help a lot. It actually begs the bigger question of, you know, who is in charge of your life, you or your phone? And I think increasingly we become, you know, slaves to the phone instead of we being the master of your phone or your iPad or whatever it is that you're using. And as you say, putting some manners on it, if you like, and making it work the way you want it to work rather than the way it's kind of default. 
I love that you say that, Barbara. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. I think one of the things I, I read today, actually, that was quite enlightening was uh, we're kind of losing downtime. So let's say you're waiting yeah. in line for a coffee. Yeah. Instead of just waiting, getting some headspace, taking a look at the environment around you, maybe do some people watching. Instead, we're looking at our phones. True. We feel like we have less downtime than potentially we actually might have the opportunity for. So maybe being more conscious, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be more conscious about what I'm, how I'm consuming and what I'm doing. Yeah, I was talking about that earlier in the week. I can't remember the context, but about how, you know, uh, one of the things that I hate about myself, and it, this is me doing it, it's not somebody else doing it, <laughs> is the fact that I get into bed at night and I'm reading a good book that I'm really enjoying, but instead of me going straight to the book, I have to go to the phone for the one last time to do the run around social media just in case anything earth shattering has happened that I need to be aware of or somebody has said something that's really interesting. And the next thing you know, you know, three quarters of an hour has gone and you haven't actually started to read yet. So you only read a page, whereas before you would have read a chapter. Um, and that drives me insane. You're not and you're so not alone in that. I think you have to actually actively tell yourself to not do it yeah. in order to to get back some of that enjoy the things you enjoy. Um, because it is all-consuming. It's built to be all-consuming. We know this. You yeah. know? So it's built to keep us on, it's, you know, the apps are built to keep us there. It's, um, it's an and, attention game. So. And the cleverest thing that phone manufacturers ever did was to put your alarm on your phone, you know, oh. your clock and your alarm, because <laughs> nobody has alarm clocks there anymore. Everybody uses their phone. So therefore, it guarantees that your phone is right beside your bed. And it's the first thing you look at. It's And, and it's the last to, thing. You have to turn it off. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah, you're right. It's definitely one of the cleverest things. One of the things, I don't know if you've any, uh, if you've any, I, I probably need to talk to probably a psychiatrist or a psychologist rather than, than yourself, uh, Sasha. But one of the things that I was saying about the fact that I need to buy a new phone is my WhatsApp messages. Um, and my mum died about 18 months ago and the WhatsApp messages from her, there's quite a lot of them, are brilliant. And I do go back there and I reread them every so often because her personality just shines right through and I get great enjoyment out of that. I'm terrified of trying to, and I back up my phone and all of that, but that's where I get the fear, is that like, what if I buy a new phone and my WhatsApp messages don't transfer across? Oh, Barbara, I so relate to I'm so sorry you lost your mom because I know how painful that is. And I... Have, I can say I have two and a half thousand emails from my mom mm. <laughs> who passed away uh, almost eight years ago. And I have two. That's one of the main reasons why I am afraid to press delete on things yeah. because I don't ever want to lose her messages. And, and when it comes to that, I think that's a very healthy and normal thing to not want to lose. You, you're going to want to keep those forever. Um, so one of the things that um, a trick that was taught to me that I thought was really beneficial when I cleared out my mom's things when, after she passed away, yeah. you can't, you can't keep everything, right? No. Obviously. I learned that. And, and, and anyone who's been through that knows that's a very yeah. difficult process. But someone told me to take photos of the things that potentially I loved but had to get rid of yeah. so that I could always keep them. Again, we're back to having thousands of photos. Still. <laughs> <laughs> so that I could always keep them and look at them. And I think um, when you think about even WhatsApp messages, you could take screen grabs of some of your favorite interactions True. Um, and, and keep those and, put, and make sure that you never lose them. Because obviously with third-party platforms, we are all subject to potential potentially yeah. losing them. Um, but even being able to, to, to make sure, have a, double, a backup copy of your mom's messages, I think is a great thing because like you said, her personality shines through and you, you never want to forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't. I'm going to have to, uh, that's a, a, another thing for the to-do list, another project <laughs> to put on the to-do list. The other thing, which going back to where we started, when I was looking at old home movies that we had taken, my kids are all adults now, um, but the old home movies had a completely different quality than the type of video you take on your phone because 
because you were going around with it with a bigger camera and you tended like people tended to be not as aware of it as they do with phones. So there was a kind of a they were, they were much more they were less curated and less organised, if you like, than the kind of videos we take on phones. I wonder, will that day ever come back that people say, do you know what, we're not doing it on the phone anymore. We're going to buy an old camera and go around and do the old fashioned thing. Well, I mean, I think old cameras are definitely back in, you know, and you even see like, you know, there's a huge trend towards the disposable cameras again um, in kind of a retro way, which is which is pretty cool because people like the idea of waiting to get the photos back. And what will they look like? Definitely when you saw a VHS video that you hadn't, you you, you weren't conscious of yourself. So it was captured in a very different way. It was. Um, I think, you know, my children have a different relationship with their youth, which is really interesting. Mm. And I do wonder how it will impact their memory because my daughter seems to have a very or at least believes she has a very thorough memory of her past because she has seen so many photos of her past right. and I probably have a photo for every day of her life whereas my um, kids remember nothing you know you put all this you put all this energy into giving them memorable holidays and that they've only a vague recollection of any of it oh Barb uh, that's heartbreaking oh god <laughs> yeah, if only no, they knew there you go yeah all the things you do thinking I'm going to give my kids great memories and now that they're adults I go do you remember the time they're going no yeah, not at all. oh god <laughs> anyway Sasha listen it was great to talk to you I look forward to reading more of you in the Irish Independent that was a great piece you wrote and thanks a million for joining us today thanks very much have a great day thank you back after these and you're welcome back to Late Lunch. This is Barbara Scully with you today. Now, uh, as an owl one, I'm a huge advocate of it never being too late for reinvention or for learning new things and new skills. So when I heard that the UCD Innovation Academy were holding an inaugural festival of lifelong learning next month, I thought this is something we need to hear a little bit more about. So Programme Director and Innovation and Entrepreneurial Specialist, Dr Lorraine Mancy joins me now to tell us more. How you doing, Lolly? Hi, Barbara. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you, too. I should mention that um, you're on holiday at the moment, so you're abroad, so there might be a slight a slight little delay, but hopefully not much. There's a slight delay because nope. I'm in Indonesia on a tiny island. <laughs> <laughs> you're in Bali, you lucky girl. Now, we're in Drada, which is lovely as well, so, you know, I'm not that jealous, <laughs> really. Listen, first of all, tell me what the UCD Innovation Academy is all about. Yeah, so we, we got set up in 20, 2008, basically, as a response to the recession. Um, and I think really back then the government was looking to sort of see how quickly we could get people retrained and upskilled and sort of spun around and back into the workforce. But at the time, it, it, the recession hit everybody. So we didn't really know what jobs we were preparing people for. Um, and since then, we've grown in the last sort of 12 years. We've grown to sort of really have a look at the future of work and where it's going. And so we, we really love lifelong learners. I would be one myself, you know, and mm. never stop learning. It's never too late and you're never too old and, you know, all of that amazing stuff. But really what it's about is the, is kind of having a look and sort of seeing what your special skill set is in terms of now in corporate terms, portfolio career, which is uh, many different jobs but we call it a kind of a squiggle career. This idea of no linear path, but just loads of different paths and things that have led to you, but you've got all these experiences. And actually, industry is crying out for this mature approach and this resilience that you know we seem to see in, in lifelong learners. So we have the advantage, but we often feel that we don't have the advantage in terms of our confidence and our, our identity. Oh, that's all singing my tune. Absolutely. It's very hard to believe that when you live in a society that is as ageist as our society is, where they think that youth is, everything is about youth. And they don't see, as you say, all of this precious experience and life experience and wisdom that older people bring. When it comes to 
when it comes to entrepreneurialism, Barbara, it's fantastic because actually the older you are per decade, you have more of a 10% chance, an increased 10% chance of, of having a successful business. So you're, if you're 20 years old, you have a 20% chance. And if, you know, obviously it's a generalization, but if you're yeah. 60 years old, you have a 60% chance of a, you know, of a successful business because you've got life experience behind you and you've got contacts. And that's what's so important, this idea of networking. So actually, we put ourselves down a lot, you know, as we get older yes. and think, oh, you know, I'm maybe a bit past it or I'm not really sure. Sort of the, the, the workforce seems very young and vibrant. But actually, we have so much to offer. Really, industry is crying out. And the reason industry is crying out for us are our sort of uh, what I like to call sometimes the elder lemons, you know, like yeah. <laughs> the ones that feel that they don't fit. Is because the two biggest problems facing industry at the moment are customer acquisition, uh, so you know, uh, uh, and staff acquisition, and also um, uh, retention. So you know, they cannot get the right people into the jobs, but they also can't keep them. Um, and this is because Gen Z are jumping from job to job, and they're kind of hip hopping around. But actually, when you get a lifelong learner, they're going to stay. And so we are the golden goose, you know, but we just don't realise it. That's, so that's brilliant. Important. I absolutely love that. Now, listen, at the um, at the event that you're holding next month, you've got some really interesting topics up for discussion. And this is what really fascinated yeah. me. For example, one of the things that you're going to be talking about is the fact that up to a quarter of jobs around the world are expected to change in the next five years. Can you give us a rough idea as to what that change looks like? Yeah, so I mean, most of, if you're dystopian, you'd be kind of thinking that, you know, AI is taking my job. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. Uh, oh, you know, so really what it is is somebody that understands the digital platform and the digital uh, applicability of AI uh, with you. So it's the person plus the AI that's going to replace the jobs that are currently in position. And so what's really interesting about that is that we've just developed a course um, which is called Digital Resilience and Technology and Agility. And, and really what that's about is um, we, we had a very first pilot of it this September it's about kind of getting people who are, in, you know, lifelong learners, middle-aged. I hate that expression, but, you know, you know what yeah, I mean. I do know what uh, you but, mean. But, you know, to really lean into the technological platforms to say, do you know what? Like, as long as you can take the fear away from these things, they're not that complicated. It's a case of understanding it and making it, you know, useful for you and make it, you know, worthwhile. And I think when it comes to something like ChatGPT, people are like terrified of like, yeah. oh my God, it's just, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take over everything in terms of content writing and marketing. That's not true. It still needs what's called a prompt engineer. So even, you know, at the most basic level, it's about asking the right questions. And so it's not that, you know, the, the AI is, is going to replace us. It's that if we are savvy and clever, we'll learn more about the AI ourselves, which it doesn't mean becoming a programmer. You know, it just means taking the right course to upskill yourself. Um, and then you work with the AI. It's a tool. Like, I mean, I, there's amazing stuff. Like uh, in the 1950s, <laughs> the math uh, professors in the, in the States were all walking around with placards saying, ban the calculator, it's going yeah. to be the end of learning. You know, it's a similar thing now. It's like we do have to be very cautious. There's a lot of huge issues around AI legislation and regulation that are being addressed now in the EU. And so, you know, the, the ethics of AI in, in terms of the algorithm and biases, that's a whole nother sort of fear. But, yes. And I'll be talking about that at the festival. But really, what we, the best thing we could do is go from being passive users of technology to active. Yeah. And that means understanding how it works. 
And at the very most basic level, that's what we're there for in the Innovation Academy. Fantastic. So really, AI is just another step along the, the journey of, of us using technology, because a lot of the, these fears that you've described there were around when technology and computers started to become mainstream as well, as you've said. Now, the, the other thing that I really liked um, is that you said that creative thinking is the number two skill on the rise, which is, again, great. Explain creative thinking and creativity and how that's being valued as a skill now. Yeah, I mean it's 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 always been there in terms of sort of the marketing, advertising, sort of you know end of things, right? The sort of the more creative media side of things. But actually, creativity is incredibly useful at the moment because what it, it what it means is seeing the world differently. So curiously, it's kind of almost like being able to see the world through the eyes of a child. Sometimes, and just being able to you know address those assumptions that we have. As we get older, our world starts to shrink and we start to think about things just in the same way with the same assumptions and we have the same narrative to ourselves. And what creativity does is say, is this the only way or the only way of looking at this? Is there other ways of looking at this? And part of actually what I'm doing out here in Bali at the moment is speaking to other creatives and a lot of female entrepreneurs out here about the way that they're seeing the changes. And so, you know, the, the idea of sort of staying current and staying in touch with people and, and sort of on top of things, really, because creativity is not being artistic. It's about uh, a curiosity about the world. It's about being able to say, to challenge yourself um, and have that sort of idea about uh, there is, there is, there's more than one way. There's, there's multiple ways of seeing things. Yeah. It also is about seeing the minutiae. Uh, rather than the big detail, you know, we often get sucked into sort of the bigger narrative. But really, the you know the the joy of the small, mundane things, the everyday life. You know, uh, I, I'm doing a little bit of work at the moment on the science of awe and wonder. And there's an amazing thing in Stanford University, um, actually, that correlates to VR, which is really interesting. So when they when they look at the brain under an MRI scan, they actually see when you see something like a waterfall or something, you know, awe-inspiring, a rainbow, for example, a piece of your brain is highlighted. When you actually put on a VR headset, the same piece of your your brain is highlighted. So technology is kind of using or hijacking in some ways these you know these experiences of ourselves. And what we have to do is we have to be very creative with it. We can't just be passive. And when the advert comes in front of us for something that is selling us because we, you know, it knows our preferences, yeah. we can't just press buy like a Pavlovian dog. You know, we have to be a bit smarter than that. Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm still here. oh, you're still there. Sorry, I think the line dropped there for just just a moment. That all sounds brilliant. And I love your passion. Anytime I speak to you, your passion and your enthusiasm and your uh, positivity uh, shines through. Is this particular event just for people in the account? Is it open to the general public or is it an invitation only uh, gig? It's invitation only, but I'm very happy to invite your listeners. So I'm I'm uh, I'm Dr. Lolly Mansi on on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to send me an invite, you know, message direct message, I'm very happy to send them an invite that way. Uh, just because we need to keep the numbers down, you know, in terms of event event bright. But sure. Some of the amazing things that we're doing in this as well. We've got this one fantastic session called "Bringing Broadway to the Boardroom," right? <laughs> and what we've done is we've, okay. we've, we've honed the we've honed the facilitator skills. So we've one particular Brilliant. facilitator, Rachel Murphy. She's amazing. She came through the course herself. Brilliant. She's now become a facilitator. She has her own dance. That's great. Um, and what she's doing is she's lear- she's taking everything that she's learned in dance, oh. teaching dance. 
and Lolly, I'm sorry. I'm afraid that I'm afraid the clock is against us. Um, but it's uh, it all sounds oh, brilliant, okay. and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us from Bali. That's Dr. Lolly Mansi there from the uh, UCD School of Innovation. Back after, and you're welcome back. Now this week is Shakhtan Naroher Bike Week, um, a week to celebrate and promote the benefits of cycling. Something I know a little bit about. Not that I'm a mad cycler, as you know, I'm a kind of an owl one, and I was diagnosed with type two diabetes in 2020, and that was when I got my first adult bike. And I have to say, my first bike was called. Sheila because she came from Australia changed my life now I'm I'm not a fast cyclist I'm I'm a very much of an amateur cyclist but I do love it so let's talk about biking um, with Linda Meehan who's on the line she is vice chair of the Drogheda Cycling Group how are you doing Linda? Hello Barbara how's things? Ashwood there Grant um, how are you? Great, thank you. Great, great. Good. Uh, and you sound like just the kind of cyclist we want in our group, by the I'm, way. So I'm actually just... evangelical about it because I never, if you just said to me five years ago, you'll be cycling your bike around the place, I would have gone, no, I won't. Um, so tell me, first of all, about the Drogheda Cycling Group. What, what is it that you do as a group? Okay, well, we're a fairly new group. We've been in existence for two or three years. Um, we're growing all the time, which is great. Great. Um, we're not a sporty group. There is already a, a group in Drogheda, the, the Drogheda Wheelers, and they're very much about um, racing and sporting and so on. And Lycra. And Lycra. Now, <laughs> we're very different. Um, we are much more about cycling for fun and cycling for commuting. Brilliant. So we have events, we have about two events every month, um, which are really just social events to get people of all ages, from approximately six years of age up to, I'm not quite sure, um, 80, 90, whatever age you are, um, all genders, very, very welcome. Um, and our aim really is to, I suppose, um, we're trying to get better cycling facilities in the Drogheda town and surrounding areas. So we're also a lobby group. Brilliant. As well as a social group. Brilliant. What kind of things do you think we need to look at in order to make more people? Because I know from talking to women my age, I'm 61, and I know from talking to women my age, a lot of them were fearful of getting on a bike on the roads. They were afraid. Yeah, yes, that's you, a huge issue. Yeah. That's absolutely. Like, I don't know if you remember, I'd say three years ago when we had our first lockdown. Yes. Loads of people come out on their bikes. That's, what I, that's when I started. It was great. There was no traffic. No traffic. So, you know, the amount of families with young kids that yeah. you see out, maybe two parents, two or three kids, on their little bikes, everybody felt safe and it was wonderful to see it. And we, I suppose, hope that will continue. But of course, as the traffic came back, all of those bikes went back into the sheds again. Yeah. Um, and like, while the number of cyclists in the town has grown, yeah. it probably hasn't grown enough. And particularly now, I'd be close enough in age to yourself there now, so I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, you know, we have found that like our group is open to men and women, obviously, but most of the people, well, about two thirds will be men. So we're trying to encourage more women to get involved. And the benefits, uh, the benefits, the health benefits. Are, I mean, obviously, your fitness will improve. The other thing that I think puts people off, women in particular, is that and I know when I started, I'd be like, I can't go up a hill and I still can't really go up a hill very well. But you can get off your bike and walk up the hill. You're still moving and then get back on your bike again. So don't be letting hills put you off. Oh, absolutely. And people People think road is really hilly, but there's loads of roads that are not hilly. Yeah. You know, and we have um, the boardwalk um, out as far as Old Bridge, totally flat, or you can cycle out to Baltray, um, totally flat. Totally you flat. know, so like you, there are places that don't have hills. Yeah. And as I say, you can you can push the bike up the hill. Exactly, and yeah. they get back on it again, and there's no and embarrassment about yeah. that. Listen, yeah, I know you have an okay. event um, this weekend, um, Linda. What, what's yeah. going on this weekend? Okay, so on Sunday, as you said, it's 
bike week so Sunday is the last day of bike week yeah uh, we have one of our family friendly events so every about one Sunday every month uh, we run a social event some of them are aimed at let's say adults only and some of them are family events so the one this Sunday is for families and where do people uh, what um, sorry, so we're meeting at Courtyard Coffee, which is in Merchant's Quay, down near the viaduct there. Brilliant. Just facing the river at 11 o'clock. 11am. We're going to cycle out to Old Bridge. Lovely. Uh, if some people feel that Courtyard Coffee doesn't suit them, they could meet us at Dominic's Park at about 10 past 11. Brilliant. This is for kids now with their parents, obviously, with, with an adult, let's say. Yeah. Um, children from about the age of six. If they're capable, of, if they're slightly younger, that's fine. If they can manage the cycle, it's five kilometres from there out to Oldbridge House. Uh, we're going to have a little picnic there, so we'll ask people to bring some food along for, for their own picnic. Um, obviously, they'll have their own bike and they must wear a helmet. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, high vis if they have it. If not, we have some spares, so that shouldn't be too much of a problem. Brilliant. And that is a great way to test it out and to experience. And honestly, the joy of cycling, you'll feel like you're 10 years old again. Linda, time's against us, but thank you very much for that. Best of luck to everybody on Sunday. Thank you very much, Barbara. Um, uh, cheers. Thank you. Bye thank now. you. And we're going to news with John Lennon. Two very different and powerful versions of Navin have been across the media in recent weeks. The first is a documentary made by local filmmaker Sinead O'Shea, which tells the story of doctors Mary and Paddy Randall's quiet and determined battle against state-sponsored mistreatment of children and women in the 60s, 70s and 80s. It's an important study of how big injustices can be bravely challenged locally with remarkable effect. I've seen the documentary Pray for Our Sinners twice. On both occasions, once in Navan, the other in Dublin, I joined complete strangers outside to talk about how glad we were that it was now a different time. A communal debrief on what we had just seen and to put some sense and words onto feelings the personal stories in the film had stirred. Thank God we had moved on. How on earth did the country put up with such intolerance, such brutality, such aggression? Yes, isn't it a credit to us that we have put all that behind us? Then this week, there was the other film. Mobile folding footage, boy, being savagely attacked on his way home from school. Surrounded by a baying mob, blows are dealt, he falls to the ground. The thumps continue and the kicks begin. He crawls along the grass trying to protect himself. But there's too many of them. The whole spectacle is sickening. The baying mob cheering the aggressors on. The need to capture it on video. For what? Posterity? To enjoy and relive it again later? To add some extra humiliation to inflict it later across social media? Two stories of Navin. One a sensitive account of how compassion can conquer cruelty and violence. The other, just cruelty and violence. So maybe we haven't moved on as much as we thought we had. Perhaps the feelings of relief and bewilderment my fellow cinema goers and I felt was naive. Swap the school jumper worn by the thugs in the week's video for priest cassocks. And it's a remarkably similar image. 
changed the frightened young boy trying to protect himself on the ground. For an 18-year-old pregnant girl, surrounded by people of power, locking her up and taking her baby. It's not a different film. It's a modern remake. There has been a huge outpouring of disgust at what happened this week. Lorry loads of thoughts and prayers have been clogging up the roads of the town since the footage went viral. And it all doesn't matter a damn. We have come too far in this country for this to be the new Ireland. Every parent needs to take a long, hard look at themselves and their children. Not every child was raining down blows on that young boy, but there was plenty cheering them on and even more adults sharing the video online. We've had plenty of heroes in this town, in this county and in this country. People who throughout history stood up to oppression. People who were brave enough to say loudly, this is wrong. This is not what we are. And this stops now. Now is our chance to join them. That was beautiful. Um, And a thought-provoking essay, as I say there, from uh, Sinead Burke. And I have to say, beautifully delivered as well. And I think Sinead has captured uh, many of the emotions um, a lot of us feel at the end of, as I say, what has been a terribly uh, tough week and a difficult week. Um, I would ask you again, as, as, as everybody has done, please don't view that video and please don't share it. Above all, don't share that video. Uh, mind your kids. Talk to your kids. We'll get past this. It is a. It has been a tragedy for all concerned, but particularly, I think, for the young boy at the centre of this, at the victim. But we are better. We are better than that. Um, I want to thank, actually, three very brave, strong and generous women who shared very difficult stories with me this week on the radio. Alana Sheehan, who I spoke to on Monday, Lindsay McKenna, who I spoke to on Wednesday, and Naomi Dunleavy, who I spoke to at the top of the show today. Uh, those women are the embodiment of the Ireland that we we all want to live in a generous they were generous they were brave and they were strong um, and as I say I think that is that is who we are we will get past this and compassion uh, will definitely win out Okay, so that's me done for the week. Horace is you. Um, I want to thank you all for listening this week. Your beloved Jerry will be back with you on uh, Monday. And I want to thank uh, Louise Walsh for producing and for keeping me on track uh, all week. She's a patient woman with the patience of a saint. I also want to thank actually Breege and Karen out on reception who also uh, do a lot of running around after me and it's very much appreciated. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Don't go away. Eddie is next. We're leaving you today with Bonnie Tyler. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.